1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of back from the week that was. It began with maskless Monday. The first day wearing one was not required in most public settings in Ontario. A timely topic for Libby and the Zoomer squad. John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion Research. Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer of CARP and David Kravitt, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP.
2: People have to make their, their own decisions. I think that we've long since passed the point, though, where there is a solid one opinion, a scientific opinion on the value of masks, particularly when you consider the variation of the, the people. If I don't have COVID, if I've been vaccinated... Now I'm putting a piece of uh, fabric over my nose and mouth versus no fabric. Am, am I doing it to protect myself from you or am I doing it to protect others from me? Because as of yesterday, they didn't need any protection. I had a COVID test uh, coming back from the U.S. a couple of days ago and I've been vaccinated. So nobody would appear to be at risk uh, from me. So I don't know. I'm carrying around a mask with me. It's in my back pocket so I can put it on and take it off as needed as the situation changes. But I don't think there's this is just uh, becoming theater for me. It's just if you feel better doing it, great, do it. But it's not a uh, I don't think there's one scientific point of view that we can pretend any longer uh, is applied to every situation.
3: Bill, um, what's happening in Halifax there? Well, we're
4: in exactly the same position that you are. The uh, the mandates were lifted as of today, uh, so the decisions that I have to make here are the same that you and uh, David are making in the Toronto. And as far as I'm concerned, I I, I must uh, uh, disagree a little bit with my good friend uh, David because uh, you know mass are the simplest thing that we can do. Uh, they they do work. There's been confusion about exactly how and why and how much but but it they're not a restriction they're just something that part of our power to uh, protect protect ourselves so why wouldn't we continue to uh, wear them especially when we're in uh, larger groups or places where we don't know folks around and that's what I'm going to continue to do and uh, when I see you in Toronto uh, two two weeks from now I expect to be sitting there with David And I will still be wearing my mask, except when we're speaking on the radio.
3: Okay, you'll be sitting pretty close to him when you're. I'll
2: put my mask on, Bill. I'll make sure Uh, I have it. I have
4: it right right, here. I'm I'm triple vaccinated, so I'm not afraid of David.
3: Okay, you're not afraid of David. That's good. Good What about John Wright? Hi, John.
5: You know what? It's, uh, I'll probably be wearing mine uh, more often than not just because I've become used to it, and I'm a little more concerned about it. But I think the three of us represent what's going on in the public right now. The latest polling that I have show about a third of the public who is fine with just going back to some kind of new normal, keeping an eye on the hospitals and to making sure that it, they're not getting clogged, being open to bringing in some kind of restriction locally, if in fact that's the case. Another third that are a bit more wary, um, but, but exercising choice given a circumstance that may arise. And the other third, in fact, who will continue to wear their mask until they think that they are absolutely clear from all of this. So I think the, the critical word right now is choice. Um, you have the ability to make a decision on your own, whether to put the mask on yourself or on your child going to school. The question is whether or not that becomes a bit of a stigma or whether or not, uh, you know, we've got a new variant which may be inbound shortly from Europe. And whether or not that lands in uh, North America and starts to ramp things up again and on go the mask. So I, I think it's a matter of choice right now. And people are um, are, are considering it for for today going
3: forward. Okay, and David?
2: We have talked in the past about it's up to you to take care of yourself and that included the vaccines, that included the boosters, the topics we've been discussing in in the past weeks. So I'm entirely in favor. Have that mask ready to go and use it as you see fit to protect yourself.
1: Fight Back Zoomer Squad, David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer of CARP, and John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion Research. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Bob Kompsek for Jane Brown. While Ottawa's new special program to bring Ukrainian refugees here will allow them to stay for up to three years, a lot of bureaucratic hurdles remain, as Libby found out in talking with Toronto immigration lawyer Giddy Mammon and Olga Chetvernik, who's trying to bring her family over.
3: Well,
6: uh, I'm trying to bring over uh, my family, uh, my two cousins, my aunt and one of my cousins' two children. Uh, It has been very challenging because uh, they left the Ukraine thinking they are leaving just for a couple of days, and they ended up being in Slovakia for three weeks without the car, without few things, of personal belongings, and they I uh, was staying at someone's house. Uh, and right now they are uh, traveling to Germany, as we speak, uh, because they can't stay at someone's place for too long, right? So now they're traveling to Germany, and I hope that from Germany we can start visa application process, but I don't even know how long it would take to get biometrics appointments. I don't know how long it would take to get visa either. Mm-hmm. They don't have all the documents with them uh, which uh Canadian uh, government is requiring for visa, and this is very challenging. And Although they have few uh, screenshots of some of them, I don't know if Canadian government would recognize them as, uh, you know, uh, proper documentation to upload for visa application.
3: Kitty Mammon, the last time we talked, we were waiting for details. The last time we talked, the government said that Ukrainian refugees here can stay for up to two years without going for permanent residency. That's up to three years, but... Uh, what we just heard from Olga, they still need the documents and they still need to get to a Canadian embassy.
7: Well, uh, there are, there are lots of barriers that we are not clear about what is actually going to be needed. So for example, uh, it says very clearly that people under this program uh, are still going to be subject to visa and travel requirements. So, If you have one family member with a passport and another one who cannot get a passport, what happens? That's unclear. Uh, Also, background checks. Um, We are still required to provide background checks. Uh, If there are no facilities nearby who are doing biometrics, or if those facilities are backed up by the numbers, uh, that could take a long time. Yet the government is saying that they can process these things in 14 days but if you can't get a biometric done what will that do to that uh, to that time
3: well it's 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 apparently weeks like you have to get to an embassy so for people who are stuck in Ukraine they can't do any of that from Ukraine uh, so they have to get themselves to an embassy i mean even most people are in Poland do they have to get to warsaw uh,
7: they're going to have to comply with these requirements and even if those facilities exist in Poland, there are now, I don't know how many, uh, hundreds of thousands of people who are now in Poland all standing in line. So I, I don't, I've never known uh, Canada to have the resources to crank out a high volume of biometrics. So unfortunately, there are practical barriers. We can say as Canadians, we can stand up on a hilltop and scream out that we're ready to give out an unlimited number of visas, the reality is somebody has to process all these biometrics, and we, we simply don't have the facilities or the manpower to do that in what I think um, is going to be a time that uh, your, your guest on this show is going to be able to bring her family um, to, to Canada.
6: Some uh, Ukrainians uh, don't have, uh, for example, they're not fully vaccinated. And this is the requirement to come to Canada right now, which was waived for Ukrainians. But they need to be, uh, they need to quarantine for 14 days. Where are they going to quarantine, right? Uh, Like all these questions, there's so much to address. And Canadians, uh, like Canadian government, is not prepared. And Immigration Canada is one of the layers of issues we have. But what is next for them? How do we integrate them? How do we help them when they come to Canada?
1: Olga Chetvernik, who's trying to bring her family over from Ukraine, and Toronto immigration lawyer Giddy Mammon. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Komsik. Coming up after the break, reaction to the new Liberal NDP agreement.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of fight back with Bob Komsic on Zuma Radio.
1: Welcome back. Tuesday saw the weekly strategy panel unpack something of a bombshell. The liberal NDP deal that will keep Justin Trudeau's liberals in power until 2025. Who wins and who loses here? How will this affect voters who supported the NDP because they don't like the Liberals? How will this affect the Conservatives who are calling it backdoor socialism? Will it change their leadership race? Joining Libby to discuss, Karen Stint, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hiller Highroad, and Charles Souza, former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister.
8: I think it's a good thing for Jagmeet Singh. It's a big achievement for him. Certainly puts him now in a more relevant position. It does give Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, some time to build his legacy, try to change his perspective, possibly exit in his own terms uh, as he proceeds forward. I, I think uh, I think he may be thinking about what to do next, and I think he also mentioned that in his uh, response. Um, although he said it would be relevant and or he'd be involved in some capacity, but I think this is an opportunity for the party to rebrand itself. What does it mean, though, for transparency and accountability? Will they be able to achieve this uh, agreement for the, for the full term? We'll see. I know that egos get in the way. There is no cabinets for the NDP. They're not really in power, but they are holding them, or at least trying to impose themselves uh, in, a, in a more uh, forceful fashion. It certainly is the case with minority governments that I've been involved with. The NDP did play a role. And Jagmeet, I think, is going to come out as a winner in this.
3: Karen, Charles has one view of it. I've I've heard people parse it a completely other way and say that in, in these kinds of agreements, the junior partner ends up uh, as the one who is less relevant. It lowers his profile. It annoys some of his voters. How do you see it? Well, you know, tactically, I think it's um, an interesting move. My guess is that the budget is going to come out. Well, we know the budget's going to come out in, in the next couple of weeks. And my, my guess is it's got a lot of spending promises in there. And in order to shore up support for the budget in advance, uh, the Liberals proposed this proposition to the NDP. You know, I do think it is a concerning situation for how Parliament operates, which has always been, you know, which has been something that's been under scrutiny for some time in terms of the, the role of Parliament and whether it's actually fulfilling its role and mandate to the people who elected it. This type of formal arrangement is not typical to the Canadian public. And so, I mean, we'll have to see how, how the TV's unfold. I, I think it will be advantageous for the Conservatives once they get a leader, because they won't be having to argue against the NDP and the Liberals. They'll be able to target their opposition to to both, and I think that will ultimately serve the, N- the Conservatives well. John, how will it affect the Conservatives according to you?
9: I think Karen's right. I think it, it does allow for the Conservatives, once they pick a new leader, to have sort of at least one you know, um, uh, coalition to go after versus the separate one because I think anything that's tied to the Liberals is going to be tied to the NDP. So I think from that perspective, it, it's it's good news. But I, I would say that you know, from a from an overall win, I think it's a short-term win for for Jagmeet Singh. But over the long run, I think it does the NDP a disservice because what will happen is. The, all the limelight, all the decisions are being made by the Prime Minister and by the Liberal government and, you know, and the NDP will try to say yeah, yeah, this is, you know, this is because of us, because of us, but at the end of the day, Canadians are going to see the Liberals are the ones that are putting forward the legislation, are putting forward the bills. So I think it's, it's something that the NDP should always be careful of. We've seen coalitions in the past where this has happened, so it'll be interesting to see how in the long run, but there's no question. This was not needed. There was no. We didn't. We, there was no problems with respect to anybody being threatened by an election. The, the NDP supported the Liberals on the. John, Act. Uh,
3: do you think it'll it, it'll affect the leadership race? I mean, people are pointing out. Would Jean Charest really want to wait at least three years and uh, other issues like that? Do you think it'll have a direct impact?
9: I think it changes their, their narratives. It certainly changes the narrative for Pierre Paul Depp, who started off his leadership campaign by, by having the tagline Pierre Paul Depp for prime minister, obviously thinking that he was going to win a leadership vote and, and be right into an election potential. Now it's three years away. So he's got to change that into, into a different type of, you know, he still wants to be prime minister, but it's going to take at least three years. So it'll have a bit of a, a bit of an effect for sure on, on the leadership, but it, but allows them to have a bit of a target now. Uh, with, with just not just Justin Trudeau, but now Justin and Jagmeet Singh as a, as a coalition, as a team.
1: John Kapobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stint, CEO of Variety Village, and Charles Souza, former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister, our weekly strategy panel. This is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. As head of Ontario's COVID science advisory table, Dr. Peter Yuni has guided us through the pandemic. But more than that, he's always made himself available to answer our questions. He's always straightforward, explaining the science in easy-to-understand terms. Libby caught up with him as he prepares to leave to take a job in England.
10: Look, we have uh, most of our family in uh, continental Europe, in Switzerland and in Slovakia, and our parents are getting older. Uh, two of uh, out of the four were quite severely ill during the pandemic, not COVID, which showed a bit the limitations, you know, of uh, just having the Atlantic in between and uh, six time zones. And uh, two of our children, you know, our oldest daughter is in boarding school in Switzerland and she stubbornly would like to finish their high school and our oldest son, we have a blended family of four, two small ones, and the others are uh, are quite a bit older. Our oldest son is there and might have a family soon. So uh, who knows? So all of that, you know, uh, just uh, taken together when then this came up with, with Oxford, when they made a really generous offer, it felt like the right move. Even though it's really, it's emotionally really difficult and will be really difficult for me to leave, especially. Also for my wife but Especially from me.
3: Do you consider your your tenure as the scientific director is that the the highlight or the thing that you'll remember the most?
10: I realize that now so much how much of a privilege it was uh, just to be able to use my skill set here, you know, and to be able to help a bit. So, um, you know, the answer to your question is is really yes. For, for from from my perspective, this was. Um, you know, I've been, I've, I've, I've graduated in uh, 95 and, uh, I've, I've had quite a lot of experience with, uh, with a lot of things which helped me probably just to, uh, to help here. And, uh, it was just like the right thing to do at the right time. So I was very grateful that I was given the opportunity to do that. And, uh, it's, uh, certainly. Yeah, something it, that I probably might also not be only be able to tell my children about, but also my my grandchildren.
3: A lot of governments, at least, are behaving as though uh, this thing is over. We're done with it. What's your view of that?
10: Oh, you know my view. It's not a view. It's a fact. Even it's also a view, but it's mainly a fact. And um, it's it's not over that fast. So what is really really important is to realize how tremendously well we did here in ontario because people made a lot of sacrifices because they believed in science because they were solidaric Um, you know this this made such a difference and that's just really important so we made it you now to a point where the overwhelming majority of us of all of us had some immunity most of us luckily uh, uh, thanks to at least two doses of a vaccine. Quite a lot of us, of course, also through infection now. But this was invariably, you know, sooner or later, something like that would uh, would have come probably over time. If we didn't have Omicron, it would have taken a bit longer. But uh, now with Omicron, you see that in, a, in a Asian countries, um, it's just inevitable. You can't suppress Omicron. So what this means now is that Thanks to the immunity that we all have achieved, uh, sort of uh, to to a certain extent, while we're still seeing infections because Omicron, as coronaviruses do frequently now, they starts to do that, um, is is uh, evading the immune system. Thanks to the immunity, it will not just lead us back into the hospital or in the ICU if we don't have, you know, particular risk factors or are particularly vulnerable. So our risk. It's much, 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 much lower than before. But what this means is that the pandemic's face will change. No, it will be less threatening, but we need to still be alert and can't pretend it's over.
3: Uh, Dr. Yuni, you will be with us until July or is that right?
10: Until, until June, yeah. So we, we, uh, basically they finished, the small ones uh, who are were, uh, 8 and 10, they finished the school year. And then we uh, move over probably, I don't know, around 25th of June or so.
1: Dr. Peter uni Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID Science Advisory Table. I'm Bob Komsk, and this is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zuma Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches
1: with the best of Fight Back with Bob comsick Fight Back with Libby's Nimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Several listeners weighed in on the NDP liberal agreement like Steve and Brampton.
7: In my mind, the difference is that Harper and McKay created the new party and then took it to a vote in an election. In this case, I wonder, honestly, I wonder if Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh took this to the Canadian public now, what the result would be. And that, to me, is a really open question.
1: James in Etobicoke is okay with it.
7: I'm pleased with the agreement. I think uh, at one point Stephen Harper and Peter McKay united the right. I know it's not the same thing, but in effect, this unites the left. And if you look at the votes, uh, the liberals and uh, the Liberals and the NDP combined got 49% of the votes in the last election. The conservatives got 34 So this is a, a good reflection of democracy, and I'm pleased with it.
1: Pat in Toronto on whether Canada should be spending more on its military.
4: A key thing for everybody to remember, 90% of Canadians live within 100 miles of the U.S. border. So, I mean, our primary defense in this country would be from the Americans. Yes, we should do things on our own, but we've got to remember that 90% factor. I mean, that, that really changes the game.
1: Rosie in Guelph doesn't see the point of increasing our defense spending.
11: Canada has always been a peacekeeping nation, and I really support that. And quite frankly, the evil megalomaniac that we have acting now in the headlines, all he has to do is push a button if he wants to aim it at Washington, New York, Where just collateral damage. So, I don't really see why spending a whole bunch more money on, basically, weapons that are going to be useless anyway.
1: Bridget in Toronto welcomes talk of a proposed national dental care plan, but still has some questions.
6: I'm so glad they're doing this. I actually am self-employed and in my 50s and don't uh, qualify for anything in terms of dental. I've been paying out of pocket for at least two, well, three or four years. Um, I have a root canal coming up next week, what fun? And that's $1,500. So I'd be interested, I'm glad they're doing it. I'd be interested in knowing how will it, what will it look like? Is this, I mean, will we be able to claim it on our taxes? Um, What would be
1: the method? John in Peterborough is wary of the dental plan.
6: I
8: hope they run this better than they do the one for Ontario, because I have a friend who's in the lower income, and I had to help him to do it about a year and a half ago. He still hasn't seen a dentist. Signed up, got it all done. They were supposed to have an appointment. And they called him and said, no, nope, we can't bring you in. Uh, put him back till this June. Now, that was a year and a half ago. You have to go to their dentist. Yeah. So I don't understand why there's not a system whereby you could go to a dentist, you know, or where you're comfortable, whatever. And they
0: give so much money. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call
1: of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Olga in Toronto about efforts to bring family over from Ukraine.
11: My family um, is in Canada and we have lots of relatives in Ukraine. For now, we were able to evacuate um, our elderly grandmother. From Chernihiv, she experienced uh, two weeks of horrific bombings, and she is very distraught. For now, we were able to house her in outskirts of Kiev. However, now that we're looking, at, desperately looking at measures uh, to bring her here, uh, and waiting for a lawyer to call us back and contact us, it's it's a very inefficient and very cumbersome process. So she is in Kiev. We need to bring her to Warsaw. Not everybody has the resources to. You know, accommodate their relatives for months on end, waiting for biometrics and waiting for visas. Even if the biometrics is waived, let's say, during her advanced stage, still even waiting for two weeks, sitting in Kiev is dangerous. She literally can get killed any minute. That's the stress that people are going through.
1: That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us from noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. follow us on Twitter at FightbackLibby, and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Comstock for Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back
0: is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Neimer.